Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are reading in 1 Corinthians. Last time we read chapter 9. Now at the end of chapter 9, Paul compares our walk with the Lord and our daily spiritual walk with God uh, to a race. And that, you know, it's something we have to work at every day. We have to discipline ourselves and well, we have to follow this regimen every day where we, um, he doesn't get into this, but, you know, it's true, like a like an athlete, we have to follow a certain training regimen. We need to read our Bible. We need to study the Word. We need to, you know, practice that, um, to practice our faith in other ways so that we're, you know, we need to pray. We need to grow our faith every day, just like you would work out <clears throat> muscles and grow them. So, um, here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and Paul, I believe, let's see, I believe he may be done with questions, we'll see, we'll see either if there's any more questions that they put to him, but he's going into another explanation of things here. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, believers, that our fathers were all under the cloud in which God's presence went before them, and they all passed miraculously and safely through the Red Sea, and all of them were baptized into Moses and to his safekeeping as their leader in the cloud and in the sea, and all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual drink. I see, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock, which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, well, let's stop for a minute here. Um, well, no, let's continue. Nevertheless, God was not well pleased with most of them, for they were scattered along the ground in the wilderness because of their lack of self-control, because their lack of self-control led to disobedience, which led to death. Right, so <clears throat> out of all the Israelites who left Egypt out of bondage, you know, only Joshua and Caleb were allowed to enter the Promised Land. Because the rest, they refused to go in and take the land from the Canaanites or whoever all the people were in there. You know, um, Paul makes a, a comparison here, a reference to baptism in the fact that they passed through the Red Sea. They passed under the water, kind of like when we are baptized. We go under the water and then we come back. <clears throat> so you're kind of baptized into Jesus' death and his resurrection. They went through a similar thing. He's comparing their passage through the Red Sea or the water was held up and back by God to being baptized. So they were baptized into Moses, into his safekeeping as their leader. <coughs> he also references the cloud too, that they had that. The cloud, they followed a, a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire at night. Um, and then referring to them eating the same spiritual food, they ate the manna from heaven. 
and drinking the same spiritual drink they drank from a rock that God provided water to them from that. But nevertheless, God was not well pleased with them, with most of them, you know, and they ended up dying in the wilderness. Okay. So now these things, the warnings and admonitions, took place as examples for us that we would not crave evil things as they did. <clears throat> um, excuse me, pardon me. Do not be worshippers of handmade gods as some of them were, just as it is written in Scripture. The people sat down to eat and drink after sacrificing to the golden calf at Horeb. So, um, and it says here in a note that uh, they they chose a calf god probably due to um, their um, having come from Egypt. It was probably an inspiration from Egypt that they chose a golden calf because they had some bull god in Egypt. <clears throat> anyway, so the people sat to eat and drink after sacrificing to the golden calf at Horeb and stood up to play indulging in immoral activities is the hint here or the thing um, we must not indulge in or tolerate sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 suddenly fell dead in a single day wow wow I did not realize that okay we must not tempt the Lord that is test his patience question his purpose or exploit his goodness as some of them did and they were killed by serpents and do not murmur in unwarranted discontent as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer so it sounds like Paul is trying to make a comparison so that we know um, not to do like they did um, you know they chased they chased other gods in the calf and they practice sexual immorality and then a bunch of them died and, and you know they were punished you know punishment occurred and this was to set an example and to, so that we would know not to do those things um, let's see they were what do they say he says um, you know do not murmur in unwarranted discontent we should you know Paul says we should always be content with what we have and how we are you know, God supplies everything for us and takes care of us. Now these things happened to them as an example and a warning and warning to us. They were written for our instruction to admonish and equip us upon who the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. Right. We are all susceptible. We are not immune. We have to be aware of that. Do not be overconfident. Do not be self-righteous. Do not think better of yourself than others. Remember not to just stand there and think that you are above it all because none of us are. No temptation, regardless of its source, has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, nor is any temptation unusual or, be or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful to his word, he is compassionate and trustworthy, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, he has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well. 
so that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. Now, <clears throat> we need to look at this for a moment because <clears throat> this is pretty long, <laughs> okay? But, um, first he says, you know, don't think you're immune to temptation. Don't be overconfident. And then he reminds us, he tells us that there's no temptation that we have that is not common to people. It's just all temptations we have are not unusual or beyond our ability to resist. We can resist temptation. But, also says, God is faithful. He will not let us be tempted beyond our ability to resist. And he, now notice this, he has in the past, he is now, and will always provide a way out so that you will be able to endure or um, resist it completely, you know, endure through it and not give in to the temptation without yielding. So, he has always, if you look in the past, if you look in the past in the Old Testament, you'll see that everyone had a way out of their problem. You know, maybe it wasn't the way they wanted, but everyone had a way out. You start with Cain. Cain, God warned him, sin is crouching at the door. You should overcome it. You can overcome it. You do not need to fall prey to that. You don't need to go kill Abel, basically. I mean, I'm really, you know, kind of taking a little liberty, but you get the idea. He's telling him, you don't, you don't have to do that. You don't have to be that way. Um... And that's just one example. There are others, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of one. Even Noah. Well, even Noah. Uh, no, not Noah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wrong guy. Even Jonah. Even Jonah had a way out. He had an easy option. All he had to do was obey God and do what God wanted. <laughs> it wasn't what he wanted to do, though. But that's that's probably a pretty good point, too, in that we get stubbed up. We, we, wanted, we want what we want. We don't want to give in to God, and we don't want to do what God wants us to do. Jonah says he knew God was a God of mercy, and he, he didn't want him forgiving those people. <laughs> so, I mean, I laugh because it's so human. It's so normal. It's, it's all of us. All of us are so human. It's just we're fallible. Anyway, so... You get the idea. We, we always have a way out. Um, we, are, we are always um, not tempted beyond our ability to resist and endure. And God always gives us a way out. We, you know, sometimes you may have to look for it a little bit, but it's there. Therefore, my beloved, run, keep far, far away from any sort of idolatry, and that includes loving anything more than God or participating in anything that leads to sin and enslaves the soul. I am speaking as to wise and sensible people. Judge carefully and thoughtfully. Consider for yourselves what I say. Is the cup of blessing which we bless at the Lord's Supper not a sharing in the blood of Christ? Indeed it is. Is the blood... <clears throat> pardon me, I'm sorry. Is the bread which we break not a sharing in the body of Christ? Indeed it is. These are questions that are asked with the meaning that the answer is, is affirmative. Since there is one bread, we believers, 
who are many, are united into one body. For we all partake of the one bread, which represents the body of Christ. So, since there is one bread, we believers, who are many, we are united in Christ, yeah, because, and we all partake of the one, the one bread, which is the body of Christ. Okay. Consider the people of Israel are those who eat the sacrifices, not partners of the altar, united in their worship of the same God? Indeed they are. What do I mean, then, that a thing offered to idols is anything special or changed simply because it is offered, or that an idol is anything? On the contrary. The things which the Gentiles pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons in effect, and not to God. And I do not want you to become partners with demons by eating at feasts in pagan temples. So he considers, and I think rightfully so, Paul considers the idols, the, the pagan gods, to basically be demons. I think that's probably pretty valid. They would want to be worshipped in place of God, you know, just because they're evil and because they're, you know, Satan is, um, is against God. So, I do not want you to become partners with demons by eating at feasts in pagan temples. So, you know, you shouldn't go in and enjoy their ritual like you're worshipping and being a part of the idol worship. So, you should not do that, even though you can definitely eat the food that was used in their rituals, but he's just saying don't be a part of their rituals um, because they're, they're what they offer to their um, idols is, is nothing. That doesn't mean anything. Um, okay, so do we really provoke the Lord to jealousy when we eat food sacrificed to handmade gods at pagan feasts? Are we spiritually stronger than he? Certainly not. He knows that the idols are nothing. But we deeply offend him. And the way we offend him is by um, it's by joining in the celebration as if you know, as if you're going to even if you were saying, well, I'm just going to enjoy the food and be with my friends, well, Still, we're talking, he's talking about a, a pagan temple feast. So this would be something where they are essentially celebrating and worshiping an idol. Now, it's not that the food there, there's anything wrong with that food. It's just that you don't want to be a part of that celebration. You don't want to be a part of that. Um, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, and I don't really know one. Um, hmm. I mean, it's not the same as other things that we do. Like we have. Um, no, it's not the same as any of those. I don't want to bring anything like that up. We don't really. I don't know of any pagan feasts or anything that we do nowadays. Um. Maybe that just shows my own ignorance that I'm not aware. But I would not go in. Let's say, for instance, and I'm just going to make this up as I go along. Let's say I would not go into um, a Wiccan group of people and go through their rituals and their ceremonies, worshiping nature or whatever they worship. I, I, 
I don't know what they worship, okay? But whatever. Um, I would not go through that as if I was one of them, as if I believed in that just to socialize and, and eat their food. I, it would just, uh, to me, that would, it would not be genuine for one. But yeah, I mean, that, I could see how God would think that would be offensive, you know. Um, plus, I'll tell you, honestly, um, the more you do that type of thing, the more likely it would be that that would influence you or rub off on you in some way that you don't want. Now, maybe you say, no, that would never happen, but mm, I think it's in Proverbs where it says, um, oh, I can't remember the exact wording, but basically that, uh, you know, bad company will corrupt, will corrupt you if you're, you know, hanging out with bad company and, and not saying that these people are necessarily evil of themselves, in and of themselves. Maybe you're even trying to convert them, but I don't think joining in their religious practices is a good idea. I don't think that's going to help you or them. <coughs> so, notice next what Paul says. And again, this is um, similar to what he said back in chapter 6. All things are lawful, that is, morally legitimate, permissible. But not all things are beneficial or advantageous. All things are lawful. Let me, I, I may have to make a note of this and come back to this. This is something I'm interested in. So, pardon me just a moment. So, all things are lawful. That is, morally legitimate, permissible. But not all things are beneficial or advantageous. All things are lawful, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to spiritual life. Meaning that, you know, let's say you're a tur tourist and you're going on a touristy thing and you go and, and you actually see some such ritual. Well, it's not like you're joining in and performing and, and doing it. It's not like you believe any of that. There's nothing wrong with that per se. But, you know, there is a certain level of involvement when you get so involved that there is a problem. And even though it's not hurtful per se, if you're just repeatedly exposed to these things to where it becomes commonplace, it could, it could uh, not be edifying for you. It could actually be tearing down or hurting you, you know, spiritually. Let no one seek only his own good, but also that of the other person. And regarding meat offered to idols, eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking any questions for the sake of your conscience. Okay? For the whole earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you to a meal at his home and you want to go, eat whatever is served to you without asking questions about its source for the sake of your conscience. But if anyone says to you, this model this meat has been offered in sacrifice to an idol. Do not eat it out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience sake. And by conscience, I mean for the sake of the other man's, not yours. For why, you know, there's a note here for, you know, what good can come of this? For what good can come of this? Why is my freedom of choice judged by another's conscience, another's ethics, another's sense of right and wrong. If I take my share of food with thankfulness, why am I accused 
because of something for which I give thanks. And you're not. But you're abstaining in this case again out of consideration for the other person. You're not abstaining for yourself. You know it doesn't matter. You know the meat is fine. But if for some way, in some way, it's offensive to them that you would, you know, if they say, oh, this meat was offered to an idol and, and, and it would be, you know, implying that it would be somehow offensive to them or bad if you ate of it, then you shouldn't eat of it just to, you know, just to honor them, be considerate of them and, and not, you know, not be offensive. And it's kind of funny when he says, uh, well, it's not funny, I guess, but I mean, it's it's something to realize and think about. For the whole earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. So nothing in the earth, nothing on the earth is unclean or wrong or bad. It's what God has made for us. Now, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to want to eat everything. I mean, I don't know how nutritious most tree bark is, but I probably would not eat most of it. But nonetheless, if you found something that was really good, <laughs> and if it was tree bark and it was really great, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and meat, meat is fine. You can eat meat, you can eat vegetables, whatever. Now you notice, if you go way back to Genesis in the beginning, everybody and everything was a was an herbivore. Meat eating came later. But that's okay. That doesn't change the fact that God made everything the way it is and the way it is now and that's you know that's simply the way it is so we're approved or it's okay for us to eat what we want to eat and food must have been a big thing for them and and I know they had a lot of temples and they had a lot probably a lot of meat that was sacrificed to idols uh, like I said, they were a big port town, so they probably had a lot of temples that I wouldn't even know of or think of, and maybe they had weird um, practices that went on, but nonetheless. So then, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of our great God. Do not offend Jews or Greeks or even the church of God, but live to honor him. Just as I please everyone in all things as much as possible, adapting myself to the interests of others. So see, he's trying to please everyone in all things as much as possible. He knows it's not totally 100% all the time. But not seeking my own benefit, but that of the many, so that they will be open to the message of salvation, may be saved, and be saved. So, the idea is what we spoke about, I think, in the previous chapter, where he's just trying to, or previous chapters, he's just trying to make sure that he doesn't offend anyone of any group, and what he does is he tries to make himself, you know, identifiable with them, identifiable as one of them, or, you know, relate to them as best he can. He wants to relate to them, not accidentally offend them, so that they will be open to the message of salvation. So he explains this very clearly. He's not going in and immediately just telling them how right and, well, <clears throat> how right he is and how wrong they are, you know. But instead, to every group, he tries to talk to them as one of them and relate to one of them as best he can. And it's not for his own benefit, 
but it's so that they will be open to hearing the message of the gospel and, and they may be saved. So, here again we're talking about food and liberty and what we can do and, you know, how we should be considerate of others. Um, let's see. So, I mean, all that's, all that's very important. It's also important that we not accidentally get caught up into idolatry, and we should be careful um, not to not to have things that we love more than God or that we put ahead of God. I have things in my life that I like and I enjoy doing, and some of it, it's neither here nor there. It's not good nor bad. It's just, you know, it's just something I like to do for fun, but I can't put that ahead of God. And I can't put that ahead of even my family, really. I mean, that kind of thing really has to come kind of down towards the rear end of the line because you've got other things you have to take care of. So, But nonetheless, you know, you want to make sure that you're not putting things ahead of God. And uh, like I said, you're at the end. He's back to, he's back to food and back to being considerate um, and not participating in uh, ceremonies we shouldn't participate in, that type of thing. So, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day. A wonderful day. I say wonderful sometimes, and I know that. <laughs> so, uh, stay safe out there, and remember, God loves you. <laughs>